You're listening to the All My Friends podcast. I'm your host, Liam Oliver, and in this show, we're going to be diving into the commercialization of Pride, not just in Manchester, but Pride globally. My guest today is a Perth-born Manchester-based DJ known for his eclectic set spanning disco, Italo, techno, and everything in between. A frequent collaborator with our pals at night school, he's been appearing at events in and around the village of Manchester more generally for the past few years. When he's not playing out, you can find him on the radio, both in Manchester and further afield. On the show today, we're going to be talking about the origins of Pride, what its initial message and purpose was, how that's been hijacked and what that means for queer spaces in the city and more generally. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome uh, our latest guest, um, Jace Jeffrey. Hello, Jace. Welcome to the podcast. How are you? Not too bad. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. How are you? Uh, really good. Uh, I had a pretty busy but fun day um, and, you know, just really looking forward to this. Um, for anyone listening and watching, we're recording at 8pm. Um, so after a busy day at work, it's always quite nice to be able to sit down at the end of the day and chat to somebody about some really interesting topics. Um, so, yeah, no, really looking forward to it. Thanks very much. Me too. Cool. Uh, and yeah, thanks again for coming on the podcast. Uh, I'm really excited to speak with you. Um, we have Pride pa- happening in Manchester this weekend, so the timing of this podcast couldn't be better. Um, I mean, we did time it to be, be at this time, so it's not a, it's not just fate. We did plan it, but um, yeah, um, it's a really good time to be talking about this subject. Um, and I'm really keen to speak to you about Pride and its history and why it might be losing its way in the 21st century. Um, but before we dive into all that, it'd be really great to hear about uh, your musical journey. Um, I said in the introduction, you moved over from Perth, so can you tell us a little about that and, you know, where, when and how you found dance music and DJing and, you know, from that initial time picking up a record or playing on a CDJ to where we are now, just the whole musical experience. For sure, yeah. Uh, well, moving over from Perth, it's probably about five years ago now um, I moved over. It was only ever meant to be two, but um, yeah, here we are. I, um, I, I do say that I eventually uh, want to go back to Australia, but that has not happened yet and I'm still nowhere near done with the UK or Manchester. So absolutely love it. Love it as a city. Um, But yeah, I don't think I'd ever change it for the world. Um, I suppose the catalyst for me moving to uh, the UK was, I mean, I've always wanted to do it. I've um, I've got, uh, well, my mum was born in the UK, so I've got a British passport, which has made everything a hell of a lot easier with regard to visas um, and well, everything really getting bank accounts, etc. Just don't try and go to Europe because that might be a struggle now. <laughs> it's, funny, it's funny you should say that. The uh, when I bought the tickets because I moved over with my partner, um, and when we bought the tickets, it was two days before the Brexit vote, mm-hmm. uh, and I had uh, admittedly no idea what was going on um, with the Brexit vote. I was working at the time, and someone uh, who I told uh, after I bought the tickets that I was going said. Have you checked what's going on in the uh, UK at the moment? Um, I was like, no, why is that? He's like, you might want to log into the internet and have a look. They're uh, potentially leaving Europe. And sure enough, uh, yeah, Brexit uh, was on the cards. But um, but yeah, I mean, it, it gave me a chunk of uh, extra money that I didn't have before, thanks to the the dive in the conversion rate. So that was always nice. But 
-hmm. but yeah uh that was also another um catalyst for for moving to the uk was being able to um travel with europe but that's i mean hasn't really happened over the past 18 months the same as everyone else really but um but yeah i mean uh moved to manchester i suppose the the draw card for manchester for me was the music scene i mean it's just it's through its veins really uh music's in everything and what's well, everywhere um surrounding manchester um, music venues it's just yeah i mean it's it's running through its veins like i said so uh the other reason was i didn't want to move to london it's uh, incredibly cliche for aussies to move to london um and i didn't want to be one of those uh, aussies that just sits in uh, their own enclave of australians and doesn't really leave their suburb or niche so um so yeah um that's essentially why i moved but yeah five years has absolutely flown by i can't believe it's five years still um i don't know how long i'm going to be in the uk for but uh like i said i'm not not done yet it's um yeah now that everything's opened back up again it's yeah it's uh well becoming reacquainted with the city has been really really lovely because i kind of forgot that over lockdown much like everyone I'm sure has been the same um but yeah it's uh yeah certainly hasn't felt like five years uh but music scene i suppose me getting into music uh, i could probably um pin to my grandmother like she's always uh had a massive record collection i do remember as a kid um she got a distinct music room, like an entire room for her records, her stereo, um, and it was purely for music. Um, and you were only ever allowed in there when she was in the room. Um, so there was always this, uh, I don't know, this idolised or idealised version of um, what music was um, and it just being a little bit magical because I wasn't allowed in that room um, unless there was uh, an adult supervision. So um i suppose that was uh the very beginning but moving through uh growing up i listened to kind of everything from i mean moving out of high school i think it was spice girls and into rob zombie so the parents obviously didn't know what was going on with my music taste but um probably moving forward a few more years uh moving into dance music through i mean admittedly a lot of commercial stuff i know we didn't have as much of the underground music side of things in well especially Perth if not Australia um, at the time probably the late 90s um, but uh, we did have a, a quite a large breaks movement in the late 90s um, so I got, kind of got heavily into breaks and um, I don't know just spanning everything through uh, most electronic music through to trance music uh, listening to uh, what was the label out of Sheffield Gatecrasher was massive i was obsessed with gatecrasher for a good amount of time um so yeah i mean anything electronic i just i had an absolute thirst for and i couldn't get enough of it so uh it just uh, i mean it was kind of fitting that i had moved to manchester where a lot of this was uh either you know almost born or at least nurtured um through the city so yeah it's um yeah i mean i probably started djing maybe about 10 years ago um Kind of self-taught, got my first uh, set of set of decks. Um, yeah, probably about ten years ago, and just started messing around and playing with records. And yeah, it was all just something that grew and grew and grew. And now I'm essentially playing at a well, a few venues around the the city. Um, but but yeah, I mean, it's just something that I 
I think I've maxed out, but then I find something else to kind of get my, my teeth stuck into. So, uh, and that's what I kind of love about it. It's just, it's never ending. And the thirst is never quenched, if that makes sense. So I'm always looking for something else. Or if I get bored of a genre, I start investigating another one. And it's, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's something that I never think I'm going to get bored of. Um, but just going back to uh, the, uh, well, the catalyst for me getting into music and my grandmother, she, uh, well, she sadly passed away, well, it's probably about eight, eight or so years ago now. Um, but she left me her entire record collection of which, I think I still haven't cataloged everything on Discogs, but I think there's about three and a half thousand records. Um, and that's one thing that I'm thoroughly looking forward to uh, cataloging. I mean, whenever that does happen, when I do go back to Australia. Um, but yeah, uh, it's uh, quite heartwarming to know that you had, uh, well, not a completely um, in line music taste with someone, but uh, when it's your your close family member and you find you have lps and favorite lps and singles that you used to enjoy um with that person that you didn't really know about it's uh it's quite a lovely feeling so so yeah one day i will finish cataloging that but i don't know when that's going to be because it's uh it's a lot of work so oh, yeah one day. that's quite a nice touching story to end the uh, end the first question <laughs> and that's really cool um i did want to ask a bit as well i think you've already touched on it um just through your answer there but you know how how did you find that like, the cultural shift of moving from like australia to the uk I know the obvious one is the temperature must have been quite different, but um, was it was it like a big sort of like, was there any sort of culture shock moments when you're like, actually, this is really, really different? Or is it something you embraced really quickly and, you know, you didn't really sort of like miss a beat? Was it very home away from home sort of sort of feeling? I mean, I've, I must admit, it's, it was quite home away from home. I know um, one thing that I, I mean, wasn't shocked about, but um, I came to realize pretty quickly was Manchester people are so, so friendly. Um, and that's, it's, I wouldn't say that they're completely alike with um, people from Perth, but it's still like a kind of small town mentality when it comes to people. Everyone's very receptive and um, they greet you really happily. And it's, um, it's very accommodating. So uh, there wasn't a whole lot of, uh, I mean, certainly not homesickness, but um yeah, there wasn't much of a culture shock, like you said. I mean, obviously the weather's different and it took me a while to grasp how to um, wear enough layers in winter. But I finally got there after a year or two. But um, yeah, it's um, there wasn't as much of a culture shock as I would have thought. I think if I moved, would have moved to London, where, I mean, I, I know a lot of people aren't permanently based in London and they're commuting and that sort of thing. There, There's a lot of expats. So I don't know if that reception would have been as warm put it that way so so no I, I think it was um yeah it was quite a lovely introduction um to the UK I think especially when I hadn't visited um Manchester before it wasn't I mean it wasn't a completely random choice but uh yeah I didn't know anyone that was um permanently linked to Manchester itself so so yeah Cool. Uh, I always like to throw in a few quick quick fire questions as well I think that was quite nice to uh um, sort of keep us both on our toes. So I've got, I've only got three for you, but um, it'd, be, it'd be great to hear um, your answers. Um, favorite Manchester club or clubs? You can pick more than one. Ooh, uh, I'm gonna have to go White Hotel. 
Every, everybody goes White Hotel. <laughs> Every time I've asked a question, it's White Hotel. Um, uh, do you want to elaborate why? Like, <laughs> I mean, I, I the first time I went there, I was just, I was literally like, how have I not found this place earlier? Because um, I'd heard of it, and I, I mean, I just, I don't know why. I just thought it was literally a a dodgy hotel that they mm. held events in. Uh, couldn't be further from the truth, obviously. But, um, but yeah, incredibly raw, and now is one of the, you know is on the forefront of uh, underground nightclubs in the UK, if not the world, um, which is mm. fantastic. And it's literally a 10 minute walk from my flat. Oh, which also yeah, is well, yeah. So it's about 15 from mine to where pro- we can probably, can probably by the end of this, uh, end of this podcast, I could probably try and turn you down. <laughs> That's a bit stalkery. I'm not going to try and do that. That was a joke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, yeah. I think when White Hotel, when it first opened, me and my girlfriend went for- we went every week for about two months and we're like, this is just absolutely mad. This is like, there's nothing else. There isn't any, well, we, we hadn't experienced anything else like that in Manchester. Um, sure. I'm sure there might've been stuff before that, or there might've been stuff we missed, but we were just like, this is absolutely bonkers. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, no, it's a really, really, really amazing club. Uh, any others? Um, uh, I do. I do like Hidden. Hidden's fantastic. Um, and now that they've actually, you know, moved around certain parts of the um, dance floor and bars, etc. And it's a lot, I've been, well, I was there last weekend and a few weekends before, but um, yeah, it's got a really nice vibe now. Um, and it's got a great layout. So, I mean, it's anything essentially that's in a uh, kind of decrepit old structure um, still fascinates me. Like coming from Australia where everything's relatively new, um, I still get off on buildings that are falling to pieces um, that have like been around for two, 300 years. So I don't think that'll ever kind of go away for me. Um, so yeah, that kind of adds to the, to the obsession, I suppose. Uh, I suppose the other one would be uh, Partisan Collective, but in saying that I haven't been to, well, I don't think they've held any events in their new space yet at uh, Arlington Mill, but yeah, before they moved, that was a firm favorite. So mm-hmm. yeah, I've yeah, been to a yeah. few things that, um, partisan but not much but every time i have been it has always been really really good um next one um favorite night oh favorite night uh i mean it'd have to be the the freak rave um Mm. which happened last week and i remember saying this when they had their first event so i think it was only their second event they've ever had because the first one happened february before lockdown um but yeah i mean again white hotel uh eclectic music uh, in every way, shape or form, a disco, a tallow pop music as well, thrown in at like 3.30 in the morning is always a welcome change to, to pounding techno and just a really, really welcoming crowd. Um, so yeah, I mean, they only had theirs, uh, their most recent one last weekend, but it, there's just something about that night. And I don't know if it's just because everyone has had a chance to reconnect over the last few weeks of partying and all everything's obviously open up again but it's just um i don't know you see someone on a dance floor and then a week later or two weeks later you see them again and you may have only just had a passing comment or said hi but they're quick to say hello again and like welcome you in their group and it's just a really lovely feeling um and it's probably not only um unique to to freak itself it's just a lot of those kind of queer events on the outskirts of Manchester. There's just a lovely scene surrounding that and the people are very accommodating. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I'm sure that's uh, across a lot of uh, venues at the moment um, as well. But uh, but yeah, I've just come to notice that over the past few weeks and it's, yeah, it's been a really lovely um, re-entering to the scene. Mm-hmm. I, and like I said, I've, I've almost forgotten 
um, what that was like and dancing with people and connecting with people and how much I actually yearn to have that. Um, so, so yeah, freaks uh, definitely up there. Ah, amazing. Uh, and the last question I've got for you, um, which I reckon we're going to dive into a bit more during the podcast, but what are you actually going to be doing this Pride weekend? Do you have any nights planned? Um, what's, uh, what's your um, sort of a itinerary if you have one <laughs> i mean i um i did want to keep this as clear as possible about a month ago but that that hasn't really worked um i i've admittedly usually dj most of the weekend over pride mm. and this pride i was like i just want to go and enjoy it um so i didn't book anything uh until about a month ago but i've got uh, uh djing at the eagle on friday night uh for about three hours which is uh, well, it's going to be a, a good introduction or a short introduction to DJing again, um, because I don't know how I can cope with DJing for eight hours over an entire night. Mm. Um, I'm not sure how my body's going to react to that anymore. But uh, yeah, that's a Friday night. Uh, Saturday, not much planned during the day. I think I might just have a wander and see what's going on around the village. I know that there's a, uh, a charity uh event at la social i don't know if you've heard of that at campus across from the canal street i haven't been, the new campus buildings have not really been and explored them yet i know the, the ones yeah, on the right. other side of the on, of the canal from the actual street i haven't yes. been down there yet yeah yeah no it's lovely i went there for i wasn't the opening but it was i think it was a weekend after um but chic which is a relatively new queer night has um uh, well, I, think, I believe they've got a residency there most weekends, but I think there's a collective of queer knights that are helping out with a fundraiser um, there for AKT charity, I believe. So I wouldn't mind popping down there. It's a free event, but it's all um, like donations very welcome. So um, I do have tickets to High Hoops on Saturday night, um, who are obviously the gentleman that run the, the Freak Rave. Um, I'm sure if I I will uh, go to that uh, well very late anyway because I am DJing on Sunday at um, oh my god where am I DJing on Sunday? This is a test. Out. I didn't mean to put you under pressure, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just I mean I've got it all written down somewhere, but uh, well my Google Calendar runs my life, so it, it's it's just uh, symptomatic of how terrible my memory is. Um, yeah, Tariff and Dale on Sunday, I believe, and then on Monday playing at Duty Street for uh, the Kiss Me Again, gentlemen. Um, they've got a, a, a curated weekend um, of dance music, so should be a nice end. Uh, and I, I rarely get the chance to play records, so um, yeah, it's a lovely establishment as well. So not too much partying um, and just enjoying, uh, yeah, being able to play music for people again, which I've yeah. missed. Yeah, I've done it a few times since the 19th and it's been really, really nice just to be out and playing music again and watching people dance. It's amazing. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. And remembering how to dance. That's one thing. Yeah. I mean, I, I admittedly still don't know how to dance, but yeah, synchronised movement. <laughs> I'm getting there. <laughs> cool. Um, so thanks for doing the, um, the quick fire and thanks for, you know, introducing yourself and, you know, sure. getting us warmed up for the, uh, the main conversation, as, as it were. Um, you know, we're going to be talking about the commercialization of Pride today, you know, along with the negative and maybe positives, if there is any, effects that has on places like Canal Street. I've thrown that in there as a bit of a curveball. If there is any positives, maybe there is, but I, I, yeah, I, sure. we can uncover that uh, as we chat. Um, 
but before we get into that, and for the benefits of any listeners who maybe don't know where Pride's come from, um, could you give us a quick history lesson? You know, tell us about the origins and the purpose of Pride, um, when it started and where, um, and you know how it's how it you know, evolved to maybe where it was in the mid '90s, or certainly maybe before what we're seeing now. Sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, Stonewall Riots, um, the Stonewall Inn, um, I believe was the name, uh, was a pub in um, the States that uh, it, it was essentially raided in, I think it was the middle of 1969, I believe. Uh, yeah, it would be because uh, there was a 50 year anniversary in 2019. Um, so, I mean, in the in the 60s or the late 60s anyway, there was a ban on selling alcohol to a homosexual person, um, uh, as well as, uh, I mean, uh, men and women couldn't dance with anyone of the same sex. Um, so that was completely illegal. Um, so uh, I believe that the um, the mafia um, actually owned a, a fair few drinking establishments, one of which was the Stonewall Inn, um, because they saw it as a, a bit of a untapped market. Um, a lot of gays still wanted to drink, obviously. So mm. um, these these establishments were, were raided quite frequently by the police, um, mostly just for bribe money. Um, so uh, this happened for, I mean, I think it was a number of years until this defining moment in uh, the middle of 1969 when uh, the police raided. Um, but I think there was about 100 or 200 people in the venue at the time um, and they just started to refuse. I mean, they're essentially fed up, right? Um, this was happening like every month and they they knew it was going to happen at some point every month. So they had contingency plans for like drinks and um, they had signals for letting other patrons know when uh, the police were about to come and they had like back entrances for people to flood out. So they just got fed up with this happening. So it was this one night um, that, I mean, we essentially just fought back. Um, so I think it triggered uh, riots where, I mean, they didn't stop for about three or four days, I believe. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was the beginning of a, a yearly protest for rights for, for gay people. Uh, well, for, for anyone under the LGBT umbrella. Um, and Pride is essentially uh, a yearly recognition or protest of that night. So I know it's held at different uh, times around uh, the globe, but, um, but yeah, that was the initial trigger for Pride. So, um, yeah, I mean, that was, that was, what, 52 years ago now. So, um, yeah, I mean, which is why it's kind of, I mean, I'm sure we'll come to this shortly, uh, a little bit disappointing to hear that that has, in fact, not being allowed this year um obviously not last year with coronavirus but but yeah this is not happening this year in um in manchester so so yeah yeah something something that was mentioned i think it was on the news yesterday was um like a party with a purpose that's what it should be now and it, you know it still should be a celebration of queer culture and gay culture but it also you know if it's losing the actual mission and message of protest, then it is just, it is just a festival, isn't it really? Um, yeah. You know, and, you know, if you look at pride today, especially in Manchester, I do feel like that original mission has been lost. So how, in your opinion, has that happened? If we use Manchester specifically as like a case study here, what, you know, what's happened in this city, do you think that sort of caused it to sort of just become, what is essentially a festival, I think, in Heaton Park now, out of the city. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, it's like anything, right? As soon as something grows to a certain size um, and there's money involved, 
it, I mean, it's probably my anti-capitalist uh, side coming through, but um, things start moving away from the original message of, uh, well, why they were actually triggered in the first place. So uh, it's not completely unique, I think, to Manchester or Pride, for example. Mm-hmm. It's just the way that things generally tend to go when there's money involved. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's in no way, shape or form uh, defending what Manchester Pride have done uh, with, well, the most recent um, retraction of donations to both the, the George House Trust and the LGBT Foundation. But but yeah, I think it's just when things get to a certain size um, and there is money involved that they progress uh, to this level where they lose connection with, well, the wider community, really. And I think that's where Manchester Pride has started to fall on the wayside. There, There is no... Um, well, there isn't as much collaboration with the community as there used to be. Um, and that's certainly shown in their retraction of this, um, uh, well, the donations and the condom and lube scheme, which um, has been decreasing over time, um, whilst the, the Manchester Pride revenue has been increasing, which is, I think a lot of people are seeing this on paper and going, well, you've certainly got the money, um, you're using this excuse of coronavirus. Uh, which it could be completely valid and probably is completely valid. They obviously didn't make any money last year. But at the same time, when you're hearing things uh, like the the CEO taking a £20,000 pay rise over two years, uh, like literally the past two years with the coronavirus going on, um, it's just a bit like all these things start to add up and it's just people aren't very happy. They want transparency at the end of the day. I think it's uh, a lot of the, um, the issues that people are seeing with it is they're just not getting any information out from Manchester Pride. Um, so I feel as though um, the CEO, what's his name, Mark Fletcher, he, I mean, he needs to at least release a statement saying what the intention is. Is it going to come back? Um, but at the moment, it's complete radio silence. So people are a little bit upset with that, which is completely justified. And they may have a view of moving towards reinstating this down the line, but we just don't know that information at the moment so um yeah transparency is key i think and they need to move forward otherwise otherwise i mean i'm seeing this in a lot of my social circles people are just choosing not to engage with the pride festival so mm-hmm. yeah it's, it's disappointing but hopefully something good should come out of it but i yeah. suppose we'll see just a quick note there as well. I'm not trying to pick out Manchester for special, special criticism. It's just, obviously, we're talking about Manchester and Manchester podcast, and I think these subjects can be quite abstract unless we use a case study. And because we're both in Manchester, it's but it seems the That's best it. place to sort of use it as a little, like, a microcosm or case study. Um, exactly. Everywhere's shit, not just us. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, everywhere's not shit. Everyone's facing the same problems. It's just, it's just, it's easier for us to talk about them problems when we can, we can pull up CEO names and we can sort of use locations. Um, so yeah, sure. just a quick footnote on that. Um, <laughs> on a side note as well, before we get into the rest of the show, um, for anyone that's not familiar, we're also going to be talking about this concept of the pink pound quite a bit. Could you maybe give us a quick overview of what that is um, and what where that sort of term came from and what, what it entails? Sure. I mean, uh, it essentially refers to uh, the purchasing pound, uh, the purchasing power rather of uh, the LGBT community. So, I mean, I suppose, uh, I mean, a lot of people see that uh, obviously, obviously a lot of businesses have pride flags um, on their company logos and, you know, plastered over their front windows, et cetera, because it's pride month at the moment. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so uh, I don't know. It's um, I don't know. It's a it's a quite a contentious topic because a lot of these businesses obviously don't do this throughout the rest of the year. Um, I mean, any support is good support at the same time, but these, well, a lot of businesses are catering towards that kind of pink pound factor, as in they're looking to capitalize on the situation where they could potentially get more business from the, the pink consumers, um, for lack of a better phrase. So, so yeah, the pink pound is essentially just the, the buying power of the queer community, um, and, businesses generally at this time of year tend to try and cater to that because, uh, well, yeah, I mean, seeing a pride flag on a business is, I mean, it's inviting, it's great to have support, but um, yeah, uh, like I said, the issue that a lot of people see with that is it's not all year round. Um, and I'm not saying we should have pride flags everywhere all year round because it's, um, I mean, it's probably not practical, right? But, but yeah. At being able to hear like a, a, a kind of queer narrative outside of Pride would be uh, nice to hear from a lot of com companies and businesses. And I know a lot do, but I think we still have a long way to go, which is, I mean, essentially why we need Manchester Pride, right, to mm -hmm. to make these, um, well, to make sure these voices are heard. So, so yeah. Yeah. You've actually, well, you've answered most of my next question anyway, which is going to be exactly <laughs> what you've just said. Um, one thing that I... Um, one thing that I did want to um, actually add to that as well, though, is like, you know, yeah, obviously it's not paying, I'd say, is it too harsh to say it's just paying lip service to the queer community? It's Pride Month, you know, we'll just, we'll do this because if, if we're not doing it, then we'll fall behind as a brand when other brands are seen to be more inclusive. Yeah, yeah. Or, um, you know, what could these big brands do, which is more meaningful and more lasting than just changing their logo once a month? Um, you know, what, you know, should it be like, yearly sort of you know diversity training or should it just be you know just working in just more acceptance into the yeah. businesses properly and so they, they, it's not just a oh god it's bloody bank holiday in manchester let's throw some flags up what what should they yeah, be doing do you exactly think? i think you hit the nail on the head with the diversity training um i mean yeah just showing that you've actually got a connection to the community um i mean it's not just throwing money around to charities which is obviously great but mm. Um, you know, showing a connection to the community and um, spreading awareness, diversity training would be fantastic. Um, I know there's a lot of, well, there's still obviously a lot of underprivileged groups or factions of the LGBT umbrella, especially trans people. So um, just showing that you have an awareness of the issues around at the moment um, would be fantastic to see. And I know a lot of companies and businesses and everything do this, um, but yeah, seeing this, um, as the standard would be nice to see, mm -hmm. uh, especially during Pride time. So if you do have a Pride flag out, then just showing what you're actually doing to communicate with people um, around the surrounding area, well, mm -hmm. or customers, et cetera, or at least donating some of your um, profits to, to LGBT charities would be nice to see. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Cool, yeah. I mean, yeah, you know, anything's better than just turning your LinkedIn logo uh, <laughs> flag, isn't it, really? Which, which you Switching do see a lot of brands do, and it's just a bit like, you know, it doesn't, you know, you're not... that When it feels like that much of like a, just a surface level marketing gimmick, I, I imagine yeah. for, you know, gay people, it can be really frustrating and upsetting. Um, well, you know, exactly right. I mean, it's certainly um, made a lot of people... Um, well, I mean, I, I might just be speaking for myself here, but I see the pride flag now. And if it's not the the progress pride flag, I don't really resonate with it. 
because that is the pride flag that I see, you know, they obviously buy these flags in bulk um, and post them all over their shop. And it's like, well, that is not the pride flag that we generally use nowadays. So you're not connected with what's happening right now. So I know it's, it's still great to show some support, but uh, the world is moving on. So, so yeah, cool. we'll get there. Hopefully. Big question time. I've even, I've even put it in my notes. So the big question, okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> how does the further commercialization of pride damage LGBTQ spaces? Um, maybe again, we could use Canal Street as a bit of a case study here, if that works, you know, what negative effects is this having on bars and spaces in the village and how can like Manchester's queer community combat this? Great question. Um, I mean, uh, yeah, using the, the village as an example. Um, I, I mean, I have a love-hate uh, relationship with the village. Uh, it's such an incredible space. Um, and uh, before I moved to the UK, so many of my friends were like, oh my God, you're moving to Manchester. The scene there is incredible. You're gonna have such a great time. Um, and I had this idealized view of what it was going to be before I arrived. And then after the first few nights out in the village, um, I, well, I don't know, I wouldn't say I was disappointed, but it just certainly didn't meet my expectation of what it was because uh, obviously with the, uh, what was that, um, Queer as Folk, the Russell T Davies show, uh, which is obviously based in the village. Um, and seeing that it was like this complete melting pot of queer culture. Um, when I first went for the first few nights out um, in the village, it was the, almost the complete opposite. It was bar after bar after bar playing the same music, uh, which was not at all my taste. Um, and just a whole lot of uh, drunk people hanging out the front that was, it just wasn't a really nice place to be. It was covered in litter um yeah it just it didn't really resonate with what I pictured it to be um which was a little bit disappointing I've, I've certainly found my niche now with certain venues in the village and it does still have a fantastic vibe but I feel as though from what I've heard it's lost a little bit of its magic and I think a lot of that comes down to I mean from what I can understand, uh, I do play at a, a few venues in the village. A lot of the owners are essentially just using it as a platform to, to make money, essentially. Um, they're not really connected to uh, the scene itself. Um, and that's not singling out any of the venues that I play out. That's um, some, from what I'm hearing through social circles, it's, they're more, they value uh, bar takings over anything else. So it's it's literally just pedal as many drinks as you can, play the music that the majority of people want to hear, uh, and that's it. So yeah, no, it's 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 a tough one. It's um yeah, I think it's just uh, again, as soon as money's involved, it tends to take the shine and magic out of a lot of places. So um, yeah, and I, I certainly don't think the I mean, it's been around for, for decades, right? So anything's going to have its use by date. And I'm not saying that it does always past its use by date, but I feel as though it needs uh, some form of or transformation to um, invite people back again and have a little bit of that magic back. So, so yeah, um, I don't know if that's answered your question, but that was a very very tough question so well done no, on no it is hey I, I don't pull any punches on the pod <laughs> <laughs> um yeah no um i think one thing i'd like to I, well I'm, I'm thinking coming off the back of what you answer there is yes we sort of have this commercial commercialized um strip now the canal canal street but 
surely they, do you don't think there's still some power in there being such a bold beacon in in the city which is still even if it maybe doesn't cater to what we'd maybe consider like underground dance music it's still sure. it's still a very um you know blase sort of um celebration of queer culture which you know in a lot of countries that wouldn't fly and um i think that's maybe still counts as something you know what's your opinion on that yeah for sure no, I completely agree. I mean, it, it, it is fantastic to see because, I mean, I personally was quite worried about the village uh, as soon as I saw all of the uh, surrounding, you know, construction sites going up. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, is this the, you know, the end of the village? Because they are very close to the gay village, and obviously with noise and um, people running around at all hours around that area. Um, there's going to be complaints. Um, and there was a bit of uh, to and fro, I think, with like police and councils when um, people did start complaining. Um, but I feel as though we've come through the other side and the fact that it's still there and it's still as strong as ever. I mean, we have lost a few venues admittedly, which is probably uh, more so because of coronavirus than anything. But seeing that it's still there, and still going strong is um, quite heartwarming at the same time. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I, I think, I mean, obviously with Pride not being, well, the parade, for example, not being through that area at the moment is is also a little bit worrying because that is the heart of Pride and the heart of the gay village and having that area so valuable to people, especially when you're a younger gay, trans, lesbian, everything, um, growing up and having that in your city, I think that's invaluable. Because, I mean, I certainly didn't have that uh, coming from Perth. We have one gay bar and one gay club. Um, admittedly, one of those gay bars has started to go down the same route as a lot of the venues in the gay village. But, I mean, it's still a safe space for queer people, right? So it's it's still a, a, a lot more than a lot of other countries uh and their populations have so um yeah you're right it's it's still completely unique and it's i mean i just found it completely amazing that there was a an entire location in a city called the gay village um opposed to having two venues so yeah i probably got a bit of a skewed um perception uh, of the whole area but yeah it's still i mean it's invaluable like i said so um, you've mentioned a few. You mentioned a few times there about you know bars going down the same way as some of the bars on Canal Street, uh, and that leads me really well onto the next question I had, which was, um, you know, do you feel there's a danger of these queer spaces and um, queer culture becoming a tourist destination for you know heterosexual people? Um, are we already seeing that? Um, you know, hen parties on Canal Street is a classic example. You know, let you know, we're just, let's just go to the, you know the gay village. It's a, you know air quotes here it's a you know it's a bit of fun sort of thing there's no real understanding or reverence for the people who actually use them spaces it's just you know it's just a big night out where we'll get a bit a bit boozy sort of thing should that be welcome to some degree um you know having people actually you know who maybe aren't in the gay community coming into the village and sort of seeing um maybe lifestyles that they're not normally used to um should that be welcome to some degree but is there also a danger in you know how do you balance that there must be a danger in pushing out Manchester's real gay communities too um out of areas they certainly feel safe so how do you sort of balance that and where where do you sort of draw the line or is is there a happy medium yeah I mean I I think there needs to be a happy medium um I mean of of the view uh, as with a lot of like queer spaces they should be completely inclusive Uh, otherwise Mm -hmm. we're kind of not practicing what we preach it should be Mm -hmm. uh, I mean anyone should be welcome right Uh, and I know a lot of venues in the village do have 
slightly exclusive door policies like there's obviously men's only bars um mm -hmm. and um yeah what have you but it's yeah i mean it, it's a tough it's a tough one because i mean admittedly they are they are quite annoying the hens party sometimes but still mm -hmm. it's like people coming through the door they're happy they're enjoying themselves mm -hmm. uh, as long as they're not causing trouble making fun then the more the merrier so yeah, I feel as though there does need to be that happy medium, um, but at the same time, uh, the venues need to, uh, well, cater for, for everyone. I know a lot of, well, I've, I've had a few issues with a couple of venues that have not had exclusive door policies uh, or explicitly stated, but um, being turned away for, for no other reason um, other than... I mean, it, you can make your own assumptions, but uh, I have had some uh, friends that are like people of colour or trans that have not been allowed in certain venues. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not, it, it could be down to a, a certain bouncer or it could be down to, you know, what they drank that night or whatever. But at the same time, there have been a few stories of that that I've heard uh, of certain venues, which is is not nice to hear. Because I mean, everything should be completely inclusive. Otherwise, it's just uh, well, what's the point of having an area that's you know knocking out certain parts of our own community, um, mm -hmm. let alone straight people. So, no, I think it needs to be completely inclusive. Um, but yeah, it's up to the venues to kind of moderate that. I think. Amazing, cool. Um, so, how do we wrap up a conversation like this? Uh, I suppose it'd be nice to get your thoughts and predictions on the future in regards to pride and the direction it's going in. Sure. Um, are you hopeful, a bit nervous? Um, what in your opinion needs to be done to safeguard uh, LGBTQ spaces in Manchester from the effects of, you know, further commercialization? Really, one yeah. big question, one, go, go at that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I, I was anxious uh, about a year or so ago. Um, I feel as though we've come out the other side and with any I mean, a uh, mass change globally, obviously, with the pandemic. Um, good things usually come of that. So I am quite hopeful. Um, and I think with the, I mean, it's not so much nascent anymore. The, the queer scene surrounding the village is, I think, stronger than it's ever been before. I mean, I've only admittedly been here five years, but mm -hmm. there's just new nights and new venues. And uh, there's so many people flooding into these venues, obviously, with Homer Block coming along uh, two years ago, which is 10,000 people in a space. I just couldn't fathom that amount of queer people in one area, but it sold out within God knows how many minutes, which was incredible to see. So there is a whole lot of hope at the moment, I think. And I think that is going to, to spread um, throughout the village. Um, so, yeah, I feel as though it's, it's going to adapt, it's going to change, and the hardest is behind us. So, yeah, I think it's going to come out the other side. I mean, it has to, right? It's been around for God knows how many decades, so. Yeah, and I think I think the thing is with, like, cities like Manchester, some places shut, but some places open, and um, yeah. we wrote an article for the, the blog, my blog AMF, a few years ago about, you know, sort of a lot of the clubs in Manchester City Centre were closing down, and then by the time we published the article, just before we published the article, a load more others sprang up, and we were like, you know, it's just this sort of natural cycle. It felt for a while, Roadhouse shut, Sankey yeah. shut, um, yeah. And you, know, it's, it must be the same. Like these, you know, these places they evolve and they change, but they never really go away. Thank exactly. you as well for ending the show on a positive. Most people end up with a real problem when <laughs> no they're after that. They're like, oh no, it's for, everything's burning <laughs> down. Like, you know, it's great to have someone <laughs> being like, I'm really hopeful about the future. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, yeah, and super finally, uh, the last of the last, um, yeah. where can viewers and listeners hear more about you, find out more about you and your mixes, you know, where are you playing? You've already mentioned everywhere you're playing in Pride. Um, sure. Do you have any other regular um, sets in the village or anywhere you can tell us about where we can pop down and see you? What's in the calendar, essentially? Yeah, it's usually, oh, I'm usually at the uh, the Eagle, uh, could be a variety of nights. Uh, I'm usually only on one a month at the moment. Uh, I've got a bit of a hectic schedule at work, etc. But but yeah, Eagle um, as a mainstay. If I'm not at night school, um, I'm helping out with a few other events um, with friends. So uh, yeah, otherwise SoundCloud, etc. Um, you can uh, delve through my eclectic taste as you mentioned which is probably more of a i don't know what genre i'm listening to at the moment until i hit play so uh yeah i uh, feel free if you do see me say hi so amazing yeah. we will put all links i can't i can't believe i forgot to do this again um i'm supposed to start every show by telling listeners to like and subscribe but i'm going to do it at the end now because i'm going to well anyone listening or watching all the links that we've mentioned in the show will go into the show notes and please like and subscribe if you've listened all the way to the very 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 end of the show i might get a few more subscribers from this but otherwise it was an amazing conversation uh, i really appreciate you coming on and talking about the, the the topic it's um it's something i feel quite passionately about um being in manchester for so long um and I think it's something that like we all need to work on together. Um, totally agree. So, yeah, uh, my so, absolute pleasure. I appreciate the time. It's been fantastic. Yeah, really, really fun. Well, I hope you have a good rest of the evening and you've got something nice planned. Um, and I really hope we do catch up in a bit because we missed each other last time. But uh, <laughs> yeah. Just, I just need to stop drinking so much. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'll catch it. you in a bit, Jay. Good on you, Thank you. Bye-bye.